From the Schmoes No Network Studios in Los Angeles, California, it's time for Profiles with your hosts, Alicia Malone and Scott Mance. Hello, Schmoville! Welcome to our sixth episode wow. of Profiles, number six. Ah, the, this this episode is going to be our best one yet because we're going to be talking about a director that even more than Martin Scorsese, you have asked for the most, mm-hmm. Quentin, Quentin Tarantino. Tarantino. One of my favorite directors of all time. I think because he loves movies so much. He has such a great style. But I think of him almost like a video store in that you get all these mix of genres together. So you'll get a Western movie next to a martial arts film, a kung fu movie movie next to i don't know a gangster film i love how he blends genres i love all the homages to all the great movies in there his style is often copied but it can never quite reach the heights that quentin does and and some filmmakers have tried some have come pretty close and we'll get to that later (laughs) on but yes quentin tarantino his movies are so hyper stylized and the dialogue the dialogue he makes it sound so natural and so easy when in fact writing dialogue like that is hard to do but his style as a as a screenwriter is just as strong as his style as a director so rare so rare he's broken ground but who is this unusual character named quentin tarantino alicia malone let's find out in our segment called it's It's a a wonderful Wonderful Life." life take it away quentin jerome tarantino was born on march 27 1963 in knoxville tennessee His father, Tony Tarantino, was an Italian-American actor and musician from Queens, New York. When he was four years old, Quentin moved with his mother to Torrance, California, and later to Harbor City. He dropped out of high school when he was 15 to attend the James Best Theater Company, but soon grew bored with it and left after two years. While his mother's boyfriends took him to see exploitation movies, it was while he worked at Video Archives, a home video store in Manhattan Beach, California, that he found inspiration for his career as a director. Since 1992, Tarantino has been nominated for an Oscar five times and won twice, both for Best Original Screenplay, first for Pulp Fiction, and then Django Unchained. Tarantino has never been married, has no kids, and his friends call him QT. Don't you want to just walk slow motion to that track? I want to watch Reservoir Dogs right now because of that track. It is so awesome. But what was your first blood? What was your introduction to Quentin Tarantino? It was Pulp Fiction. Okay. I used to go to the video store and get a stack of movies. It was $7 for seven days for seven films. So I would always pick a mixture of classic films and new releases. And Pulp Fiction was one I hadn't seen. I was technically underage for the rating (laughs) but never mind the video store guy knew me so he trusted me and I have to say that movie blew my mind oh yeah I had never seen anything like it. The non-linear storyline, which we will talk a lot about because that's one of his trademarks. Mm -hmm. That was something so new and so fresh. I loved Mia Wallace. What a great (laughs) character. And loved seeing John Travolta in that role. And actually after that, that's when I discovered Quentin Tarantino, but I also discovered Miramax. And so from then on, 
just having that logo at the start of a movie saying Miramax meant that it was a film I was going to enjoy. Yeah, Miramax was a big sign of quality because of the Weinstein brothers. Yeah. But full disclosure, ladies and gentlemen, as you know, Quentin Tarantino did work at a video store. That is where he found inspiration to do so many of his films. (laughs) And my profile's co-host, Alicia Malone, also worked at a video store. I did. How long? I worked at Video Easy in Sydney for a few years. I loved it. I'll bet. It was the best. And actually, I used to get in trouble all the time for putting on Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction because people were like, it's a little too violent, especially for the day. You've got kids coming in here, maybe not. So then I would put on Little Mermaid or something else. But yeah, I, I feel the same as Quentin. I feel like a kinship in that way, although I don't have as much knowledge as he does because he is incredible. No one is a big, no filmmaker is a bigger film nerd yeah. than Quentin Tarantino. I think he everything. even ta- he's seen things that like we didn't even know existed. He's seen these really obscure Australian movies, these Ozploitation films, and he appears in a documentary about them. Some I've never heard of before. It's wow. incredible. What was your first blood? Well, my first blood, my first blood was Reservoir Dogs, which I saw. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline in the theater when it came out in October of 1992. And I remember, I remember it was my first year living in Los Angeles and I saw in the newspaper this ad that had these five guys all wearing black suits, skinny ties and sunglasses. (laughs) And I saw the name Reservoir Dogs. I said, that sounded really cool. No idea who Quentin Tarantino was. I didn't know that it was a big Sundance hit. Mm -hmm. Go see the movie. First thing I noticed is the dialogue, talking about tipping and making it sound so engaging. Exactly. And then just the violence of that film, the bloodshed of that movie. And it decided never seen anything like that. And it's also the structure, the nonlinear structure. Yeah, this is a heist. So interesting. This is a heist movie where you never actually see the heist. No heist. (laughs) No heist. (laughs) And whatever happened, something went down. There's a rat in the bunch. Just it was it was my first movie. It was the first movie for a lot of people because it just broke him through. Yeah, I want to throw this to Chate. He doesn't know I'm going to do this, but Chate, do you have a first blood? Do you remember your first Quentin movie? Yeah, it was Pulp Fiction in theaters. Oh, cool. Uh, (laughs) My parents, I had a big one to take me. My mom and my grandmother took me to go see it. (laughs) Wow. Let me tell you something. Your grandmother? Yeah, my grandmother, she (laughs) they were like, we had to go to like an hour away because it was only playing in a small theater. And I just remember thinking there's a couple scenes in that movie Ving Rhames, Bruce Willis, where I was like, oh Oh my god. God. What is this? The the only thing that saved me was I liked to sit in a certain part of the theater and they wanted to sit in the back, so I sat in the middle. Good. Knowing they're in the theater still creeped me out, but... Yeah, your grandmother and the kids. She's the gift. Yeah. Oh, God. I think they were great to bring bring me to it, but... I loved it. And like you said, the structure is so different. It kind of blew my film mind. Yeah, me too. Just an incredible movie. And we'll be getting into all that in our Fast Five. So let's kick it off with number five, which is... D-J-A-N-G-O. The D is silent. The D is silent. Django Django Unchained. Unchained. This movie came out on Christmas Day. (laughs) 
2012. I saw it on Christmas Day. Because really, right? <laughs> Nothing says Christmas more than Quentin Tarantino. Right. In my opinion, yes. Well, this was a, a big movie. It's Isn't it his highest grossing film? It is. His highest grossing film ever. And such a great revenge western, which of course is what he's going to do next. And I can't wait to see that. Oh, Got yeah. its inspiration from a 1966 western called Django. And Franco Nero, who starred in that movie, has a nice little cameo. He's the one who asks Jamie Foxx how to spell the name in that clip that we just heard. I really enjoyed this film. It is quite dark and brutal, even for Quentin's standards. Definitely. Because of the subject matter. Well, also, it is a revenge thriller that followed another revenge thriller, 2009's Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, and both of them are kind of Quentin's wish for how history would have turned out. Right. It is a revenge fantasy. Yeah. And both of those movies followed another big revenge fantasy, not including 2007's uh, uh, the, the, the Grindhouse movie, mm-hmm. but those, the Kill Bill, Kill Bill movies. Yeah. That, that's an epic revenge fantasy. But this movie was shot on a course of 130 days. Wow. It was Quentin Tarantino's longest shoot to date. Wow. It was also interesting seeing Leonardo DiCaprio in that role. Yeah. It was his first real villain role and his first time, I think, in 16 years that he wasn't the top billing star. Christoph Waltz as well. He won his second Oscar for this movie. And his first one was from Magoris Bastard. So working with Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> pays off. Pays off. It's like a gold charm, a lucky charm. <laughs> the only thing I didn't like about this movie were the Australian accents. Oh. Apparently, Quentin wasn't supposed to be in that role. It was meant for Anthony LaPaglia, but he pulled out. So Quentin decided last minute to save money and save time and just do it himself. He does a terrible Australian accent, but nice to see John Jarrett, who was in Wolf Creek, a movie that Quentin really loved. Nice to see him get a role in this film as well. Well, also, this was, like you said, about Leonardo DiCaprio. But originally, DiCaprio didn't feel comfortable about playing somebody so unlikable and mm. evil. And Tarantino had to say to him, no, man, you have to go for this. You have to pull out all the stops or people will never forgive you. And it paid off because it's it definitely is one of, one of Leonardo DiCaprio's best yeah. roles. Remember that scene where he's talking about phrenology and he has this the skull yeah. and then he slams his hand on the table he started bleeding during that scene for real kept going used his pain oh yeah I love how this is a spaghetti western as well and kind of a black exploitation film great actors in this I thought Jamie Foxx did an incredible job yeah he really did and Christoph Waltz he won for best supporting actor but because he had one hour, six minutes, and 17 seconds of screen time. Wow. His is the longest running supporting actor win in Oscar history. Interesting. Very interesting. Also interesting was Roger Ebert's, uh, or the New York Times review yep. from A.O. Scott. He said it was crazily entertaining, brazenly irresponsible, ethically serious in a way that is consistent with its playfulness. <laughs> That's a good That's summation a good of summation, it. Yes. <laughs> well, let's see what uh, Schmoville thought about Django Unchained. Cole Boone. Hey, Cole. Hey, Cole. <laughs> Cole said Django Unchained was actually his first Tarantino film. Wow. And he said he really enjoyed the clever wit, gratuitous violence, and award-worthy acting by Jamie Foxx, Christoph Waltz, Leonardo DiCaprio, and Samuel L. Jackson. This film will always have a special place in my heart because it was my first, first blood. blood. Thanks for that, Cole. Don't you love when our friends in Schmoville, what they've been doing on Facebook, lately oh incredible they've been coming up with their own fast five yeah their own first blood their own right stuff their own good bad and ugly yes we love that so keep doing that and like i our, love interacting with the fans it's because so they great. are film fans just like us and it's so fun we just love your support thank you so much and yeah and please go to our fan page profiles with malone and mance 
on Facebook and give please us like. give us a like and go to iTunes and give us a rating and a review so we can keep coming back all we the time. It. We have so much to get into. We're just getting started on profiles. We well, Michael K, our other friend uh, from Schmoville says, first off, I love Westerns. So when this film was first <laughs> announced, it already had my curiosity. The more I heard about the film, especially who was cast as the main protagonist, yeah. it grabbed my attention even more. I think this might be one of my favorite screenplays ever done. Speaking of which everyone should check out Vertigo Comics graphic novel adaptation of Django Unchained. Oh, interesting. It's a direct adaptation of the first draft, the first draft of the screenplay, and it is every bit as awesome as the movie. That's Thanks, good tip. Michael K. Good tip. Yeah, okay. Right on. Now we get to our right stuff, starting off with me. Uh, mine Your comes favorite from scene. Pulp Fiction. Oh, because okay. I said before how I love Mia Wallace, even okay. though she is kind of a bad character. She's got some problems, <laughs> but she's still really cool. So I became a little bit obsessed with her after first seeing Pulp Fiction. I remember tracking down the exact nail polish that she wore. Oh, you really got into nail her. polish so I could wear the same one. <laughs> I didn't quite dye my hair the same, uh, but I loved her Uma Thurman. I thought it was incredible. So the scene in Jackrabbit Slims yes. with John Travolta is my favorite because the dialogue is so good and that place looks like somewhere I really want to go. I would love to go to Jackrabbit Slims. I want to have a $5 shake. It's a wax museum with a pulse yeah exactly <laughs> and so my favorite bit and someone's already requested this on schmover oh cool here it is is at the fox force five so i love when she says fox is in where a bunch of bunch of foxy chicks force is when in where <laughs> i can't do the accent i'll, I'll try again fox is where as in where a bunch of foxy chicks force as in where a force to be reckoned with five as in there's one two three four five of us way to go Forget my accent but i love that scene i think it's really cool and john travolta so good john travolta that that the, the his his comeback movie made him super super cool there are a lot of details in Quentin Tarantino's there movies. Are. I mean, there are so many Easter eggs in his movies if you're a film buff. So in our section, we have to call it The Last Detail, which is our Quentin Tarantino trivia. Yes. Did you know that while filming Django Unchained in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, that Quentin Tarantino, in a foreshadowing and an omen of things to come, he rented out the local theater and he would show westerns and samurai movies to the cast, but they were westerns and samurai movies pulled from his own collection. Oh, that's so cool. And he's doing the same with the new Beverly Cinema, which he's owned for a while, but now here in LA, he's going to be taking over the programming. I'm so excited about this because he's going to show prints from his own collection. And we will be there. We will be there. We I'm will be, be there, there every night of the week. I'm so excited. <laughs> Well, did you know that the hands in Inglorious Bastards who is strangling Bridget von Hammersmark oh, that actually Diane belonged Kruger? to Quentin Tarantino? Wait, it wasn't Christoph Waltz? No, I'm not sure why Quentin stepped in. Hmm. But uh, Maybe he had a grudge. Interesting. <laughs> interesting. interesting. It's one of the things that, like the spelling of the title, makes it go, hmm. Yeah. Hmm. wonder why he chose to do that himself. <laughs> well, did you know that in Pulp Fiction... The first character, the first actor who went after the role of Vincent Vega, not yep. John Travolta, Daniel Day-Lewis. What? Daniel Day-Lewis wanted to play. Can you imagine that? I, actually, I can't because no. Travolta was great. He was so great. And Tarantino turned him down. He turned Daniel Day-Lewis down. Tarantino turned Daniel Day-Lewis down. Wow. And James Gandolfini was also considered briefly. I can kind of, I can kind of imagine I, that I one. I can see that one. Yeah. Well, it's because it's Gandolfini. It's yeah, the, tough the guy. Gangster. Yeah, totally. Yeah, well, did you know that more than 450 gallons of fake blood 
we use for Kill Bill Volumes 1 and 2. <laughs> I bet you can believe that. After seeing the way... The Crazy the, 88. The Crazy 88, whenever somebody got their head chopped off or their arm, oh my it was God. like a geyser of blood. Crazy. I'm glad it went black and white at that point. But that leads us nicely into talking about our Fast Five number four, which is... Could you do what you did? Of course you could. But I never thought you would or could do that to me. Talking about Kill Bill Volume 2. Oh, Volume 2, which came out on April 16th, 2004. Alicia, isn't it amazing that both of these Kill Bill movies were shot at the same time? Mm -hmm. And Quentin considers them as one movie. But they feel completely different they're so different the volume first one, one is what lots of action lots of action over the top action like you're just talking about the crazy 88 yeah. by the way there aren't actually 88 of them no they just thought it <laughs> sounded thought it cool sound, it does sound cool <laughs> but uh, but kill bill volume 2 is a far better film it's not as over the top but it still has great fight scenes yeah but and i know that you were mentioning this the other day when we were going through all this but there's just so much more depth to this film isn't there more character development in this one we get to see bill yeah Yes. Whereas we only hear of Bill in Volume 1. Right. And they say, you know, Volume 1 is more about Japanese samurai films and kung fu flicks. And Volume 2 has more of a spaghetti western yep. feel to it as well as those 70s Chinese martial arts movies. Uma Thurman, for me, this is such a great role. And it's funny, I was talking about Fox Force 5 before. It kind <laughs> of is the plot of Kill Bill. Yeah, it is. And Uma Thurman, why she did not get nominated for this movie Ugh. is beyond me. Well, I guess maybe because it's just too violent or whatever, but it was Yeah, a the Academy members wouldn't want to sit through that. <laughs> yeah, Kill Bill Volume 2, yeah. uh, like 84-year-old Academy member. Yeah, I don't think come so. On. But didn't she just give a performance that was physically and emotionally grueling and all over the map every emotion 100 percent commitment yes and you see like her, her daughter yeah and and it, there was just a lot more emotional depth to this character and david carradine was fantastic also yeah. should have been nominated for an oscar for this movie it's one of the great things quentin does is he takes these actors that we've forgotten about and he casts them in these roles david was brilliant as bill really humanized him Definitely. And, you know, listen, this is an epic revenge tale like we talked about uh, where we're, we're killing off the, the, the deadly Viper, Viper assassination, assassination squad. But there are so many great scenes in this movie. Uh, listen, I love the scene and I know you do, too. Uh, near the end, when the bride goes to confront Bill yep. and he starts talking to her all about Superman. Superman. Let's talk about that scene. I love that scene. And it was one when I watched it, I was like, oh, yeah, it actually makes a lot of sense talking about how Superman is different from the other superheroes in that his his identity that he assumes is not the superhero. It is the human, and it's actually a, a play on how he perceives humanity, this kind of boring, bumbling type character in Clark Kent. And when I, was, I remember when I was watching that movie, as it was unfolding for the first time before my eyes, hearing that dialogue and just going, huh, mm. wow, like really, really makes you think. But of course, I mean, I just also love the scene when she's in the coffin and uh. she has to flash back to Pai Mei, you know, psh, psh, and she's trying to get out and she flashes back to her 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 courtship training. and training and all that. And that was just such a great scene. And mm -hmm. of course the scene, the, the fight scene between Daryl Hannah. That's my favorite. Oh uh, yeah. That standoff and there's no music. It's just the sound of the eye being <laughs> poked out. 
Well, well, which was crazy. It was so crazy. And then she steps on it. Yeah. And I want to say a big shout out to Zoe Bell, who's a New Zealand stunt woman. And she did the stunts for Uma in those movies. Great job. And then we got to see her. In Death Proof. In Death Proof. Yeah. Right on. Well, here's, a, here's an excerpt from a review that was written back in 2004. Yep. Not only is Kill Bill 2 superior to Volume 1 in just about every way, but it might just might be as good as 1994's Pulp Fiction in terms of sheer brilliance. Mm. The dialogue is sharper. The humor is more ironic. The performances are stronger, and there is a lot more emotional depth to the characters. Guess who wrote that review? Hey. This guy. That guy. This guy. Movie Nance 2004, ladies Movie and gentlemen. Nance. Well, Joshua Willingham says that Kill Bill Volumes 1 and 2, which he considers to be one long movie, is his favorite. It has to be, it's got one of the strongest and toughest female leads in the last 10 years. Woo-hoo. Yes. Tarantino knows how much to go over the top with his action and gore, and he incorporates it so well into these films. The dialogue he writes proves he is the greatest writer-director ever, in my opinion, and his talent is shown in full glory with the Superman monologue Bill gives to the bride. Yeah, we totally agree. Okay, Claudia Rose Weldon. Hi, Claudia. Yeah, Claudia. My very favorite Tarantino films are the Kill Bill films. Paying tribute to exploitation and the kung fu movies is something that some directors would do with a wink, but Tarantino takes the material and the genre seriously, highlighting its best attributes in the character's tone and story. Uma Thurman is the best female action star of the decade. Woohoo! And David Carradine is amazing and what should have been, yeah, we agree, an Oscar-winning performance is Bill. It's Tarantino doing what he loves the most, and it's an entertaining, excellent salute to a genre that's massively overlooked. Claudia Rose Weldon, if I didn't know any better, I'd swear you were a film critic. <laughs> She's great. She <laughs> She's has really great. fantastic opinions. Well, let's get to the big picture because Tarantino has some great posters. Oh, yeah. I was telling you how when I was young, I had Mr. Blonde from uh, Reservoir Dogs hanging over my bed. So every time when I woke up, I would just see him with his gun pointing down at me. Mr. My Blonde. mom came in and was like, are you sure you want that poster? It's very violent. I was like, it's Mr. Blonde, mom. He's so cool. But you're such a like, lovely, dear, <laughs> sweet, nice person. You have this like dark Side. Everyone else had Beverly Hills 9210 on their walls. I had Reservoir Dogs. You were cool. <laughs> well, let's take a look at which posters we chose as our three favorites in the big picture. Take it away. Quentin Tarantino's movie posters are just as stylish as the films themselves. His calling card, 1992's Reservoir Dogs, came with this attention-grabbing one-sheet of five thugs that look too cool for school, dressed in black suits, skinny ties, and shades. A great poster for sure, but it conveyed none of the blood-soaked carnage that would be found in the movie itself. This retro-style one-sheet for 1994's Pulp Fiction was the most fitting of all designed to look like an old, cheap, tacky pulp book from the 40s and 50s, but Uma Thurman's sexy cigarette-smoking pose, complete with a loaded gun front and center, really captured the tone of this masterpiece. And for 2007's double-feature mashup, Grindhouse, directors Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez devised this stylish one-sheet for Planet Terror and Death Proof that would have fit right at home alongside the exploitation flicks that they were tipping their hats to. Such a great poster, that Grindhouse oh, one. Yeah, really. It would have fit right along any of those movies that. from back in the day. It's so cool. So cool. Moving on to The Player. Yes, our Quint- favorite characters. Quentin Tarantino has developed and created some of the most unforgettable characters in movie history. Yep. One of them we just talked about, worth another mention, Beatrice Kiddo. The bride. The bride. Emma Thurman. We were talking just before about how she's a great female protagonist. Um, I love her strength, her physicality, how she can kill anyone like that. She's super <laughs> deadly. She knows the five-point 
palm exploding, oh, heart exploding yeah. technique. Oh, yeah. But she also shows the feminine side to her too, being a mother and missing her child and also how hurt she was by what Bill did to her. Oh, yeah. Great performance. I also love, uh, of course, Jules. Jules, uh, Samuel L. Jackson from 1994's Pulp so Fiction. Cool. So cool. Great hair, great attitude, and his, his delivery of Ezekiel 2517. He starts off oh. calm and it builds and it builds and it builds, Explodes. exploding with those gunshots. That scene alone solidified Jules as one of the greatest and most unforgettable characters, definitely in the last 20 years. And finally, Hans Landa. Hans Landa from Inglorious Bastards. The Jew Hunter, Christoph Waltz. Oh, such an incredible performance. We'll be talking more about him in a second, but I love how he changes like this like one minute he's happy he's fun you think he's a nice guy and then boom he changes and he's quite evil and i think for a movie that involves hitler for him to be the most evil character is saying something worse than hitler nine 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 yeah. nine 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 <laughs> <laughs> that's so great oh gosh but i want to tell you about something really cool that's been happening on the schmoville facebook page yeah. which everyone should be a fan of if they're not already they've been doing these great brackets oh they're the best they're the best they've been taking two different characters and pitting them against each other and then seeing what everybody chooses. So in the first round, they had eight different characters, eight different sets. People, It was like the wolf versus Pai Mai, something like that. And people would debate which one they think is best. And in the second round, they had four, including like Hans Lander versus Calvin Candy. And then the third was the championship between two of the best characters, according to Schmoville, the bride versus Jules. And who won? Jules. Jules won. Yes. Wow. Jules See? Yes. Wow. Jules over the bride. That and must have said, been a he tough is call. The baddest mother ever <laughs> yeah. in all of Schmoville. Well, listen, we want to thank, definitely want to thank our friends like Steve yeah, Zisu, Rasika, They're Tyler. the best. Tyler, Michael. I mean, all you guys are and just so great. Everyone for getting involved because we love getting onto our Facebook and seeing that people are talking about it and they're excited about what we're doing. And that just makes me so happy. Listen, that's what Profiles is all about. We want you to have just as much fun as we are. We want to be involved with you guys. I mean, that's why we try to take as much time as we can to interact with you because you're just like yeah. us. You're film geeks. We're film geeks. We're film geeks. I don't know if you noticed that, <laughs> yeah. but we are. Something gave that away. But, you know, how much of a geek are you? How much do you know oh. your Quentin Tarantino? This is like the, our, our, our least favorite part, but still a very fun part Quiz of the show. show. Quiz okay. show. Because we want to look cool. All right. Give okay. it to me. Here it is. Are you ready? Which actor was supposed to play Donnie Donowitz? Okay. Okay. In Inglorious Bastards, but had to turn it down due to scheduling conflicts. All right. I'm bad at this. Was it Jake Gyllenhaal, your oh. number one fave? Yeah. Was it Chris Pine, yeah. my number one fave? Was it Adam Sandler or was it Jim Carrey? Oh. I'm going to say Adam Sandler. Wow, she gets Yay! it. She gets, she scores. Way to go, cool. Alicia Malone. Alrighty, for you. <laughs> yes. Which color is Quentin's character in Reservoir Dogs? Is he Mr. Black, Mr. Blue, Mr. Brown, Mr. Yellow? Mr. Yellow. No, Mr. Brown. Oh, man, I should have gotten that. That's Time. all right. That's all right. Okay, well, we're waiting for a very special guest to call in. But in the meantime, we're going to go to Fast Five number three, which is, if we've got it ready. Ooh, that's a bingo. We just say bingo. We just say bingo. Bingo. Glorious <laughs> uh, Bastards, which might just be his masterpiece. It is, in my opinion. You know why, Alicia? 
because Inglorious Bastards is my personal number one favorite. It is? It is. Because yeah, I remember, listen, I remember when I saw all his other films, but nothing filled me with the exhilaration and the excitement that I felt watching Inglorious Bastards. Mm. And this movie came out August 21st, 2009, was nominated for eight Academy Awards, including Best Picture and Best Director. Wow. By the way, that happened the first year in decades when the Best Picture nomination category was opened up to more than just five movies right so you had a movie like the blind side was also nominated <laughs> which i don't know what that was doing there but it won obviously supporting actor for christoph waltz who won every single award that year for which he was nominated and it's just it's such a great revenge fantasy yeah and at the very end of the film when they shoot hitler in the face you're I like know. what are they um, doing i love yeah this is quentin's version of how he would like to go have it all go down i like that the the final climax is in a movie theater. I love that Michael Fassbender's character is, is a, a film movie critic. critic. Yeah. And the casting as well. I mean, this was the first time I ever saw Daniel Brühl. And I think, I mean, I've, I'd heard of Michael Fassbender, but this was the first time I'd seen him in a big film like this. Right. He was brilliant in this movie. Yeah. And I love that it's, it's a, again, a genre mishmash. It's a World War II film. It does also have that spaghetti Western element to it. And it's a lot of it is spoken in French and German, and they use real French and German actors. I love that. That lends a real authenticity to the words. Well, Christoph Waltz spoke four languages in this wow. movie. Spoke French, English, German, and Italian. Oh my gosh. So no wonder he, one of the many reasons why he should have won. But yeah, I was with you. I discovered Michael Fassbender in this movie, mm -hmm. Daniel Brühl, and Melanie Laurent. Yeah. Who was Shoshana. And here's an interesting observation. Shoshana. Are you ready? Okay, go with me on this, Alicia. Okay. Okay, so while I was redoing my research, best kind of research you could do, by the way, <laughs> rewatching all these great movies. Not really work. Not really work. I mean, I, would, I should pay you to do that. <laughs> but while I was watching Inglorious Bastards and I was watching Kill Bill Volume 2, in Kill Bill Volume 1, there's a scene where Daryl Hannah goes to the bride yep. and she's, she's going to kill the bride while she's in the coma. And over the phone, Bill says, no, don't do that. Mm. Don't kill her this way. Mm -hmm. She deserves better. And he lets her go. And of course, that comes back to haunt Bill. Yes. Well, in Inglorious Bastards, the beginning of the film, after that long oh, inter interrogation, right, of the of the French uh, farmer, yeah. that that he lets Shoshana go. Au revoir, Shoshana. Au revoir, Shoshana. And what happens? She comes back and she kills them all. Right, she kills all, She kills Hitler. She kills Hitler. <laughs> so it's very interesting that these two movies outside of outside of Grindhouse that are back to back and have very similar mistakes yeah. by these leads. And I say it is his masterpiece because it really shows he'd mastered his craft. Not only the style with the way the things looked, the uh, the era that it was set in, the, where he put the camera, but also the substance too with the great dialogue and the characters and some fantastic scenes in this one too and he worked on this script for 10 years 10 years and boy was it worth the wait well my favorite scene of all his movies is in this film and i'll i'll get to that yeah you will get to that it oh also yes has five different chapters doesn't it, it five chapters of five active five act structure time in nazi occupied, occupied france, france and different perspectives i like how it changes in between each yeah scene. and that first scene again with the french farmer is, is unbelievable well stacy howard who writes for schmoesno.com which you should go to every single day when you want to get your dose of movie news she says that about inglorious bastards tarantino has such a sense of fun albeit aggressively violent fun that he's able to inject into all his 
movies. This is one of the best examples. Christoph Waltz as a villain is delightfully sinister and the way Tarantino is about to give exposition, is able to give exposition and character development through inventive imagery, camera angles and music encourage the audience to feel all the emotions he wanted them to feel. Disgust, dark humour, a sense of righteousness when justice was served. What a ride. What a ride indeed. Rachel Cushing has this to say. And Glorious Bansers is my favorite, mostly because it took me by surprise, and Tarantino hadn't done that for me since Pulp Fiction. Mm. I can distinctly remember the feeling of awe and glee I felt in the theater when I saw he actually killed Hitler. Yeah, I'm with you on that. For some reason, I did think Tarantino was going to rewrite history, so when he did, <laughs> I had a genuine gut reaction to it, and I loved it. That's great. And of course, I have rewatched it many, many times. I've also come to love, love it for all the reasons it was so amazing. The tongue-in-cheek villain played by the delicious Christoph Waltz. Mm, the delicious. fantastic, the delicious, the fantastic arc of Melanie Laurent's Shoshana and Tarantino's <laughs> wonderful use of pacing. Only he can master the slow, creeping tension of a scene and then literally explode into gory violence, which is a foreshadow of my favorite scene, which I'll get to soon. I love that. Well, this week, the good, the bad, the ugly. Uh, it's really hard to choose. A, yeah, there's no ugly. There's no ugly. There's only an underrated movie. Yeah, and I, that is? That is Jackie Brown. Yeah, we both agree on this one. Jackie Brown, which came out on, again, Christmas Day 1997. <laughs> Boy, he loves Christmas time. Yeah. Uh, the only nomination this movie got was her Best Supporting Actor for Robert Forster. Brilliant. And the amazing thing about this film is how, compared to all Quentin Tarantino's other movies, how basically straight forward this is mm, right a lot more about characters rather than style but it also had that black exploitation feel that 70s style the crime film i love pam Grier in this great cast too Rob great De Niro, cast yep sam jackson sam jackson and and richard fonda yeah. by the way and it also has by the way the lowest body count uh -oh. of any Quentin Tarantino movie. Only four people died in this movie. That's right. You had De Niro, yep. uh, Bridget Fonda, Samuel L. <laughs> Jackson, and, and of all people, I couldn't believe he was in this movie when I went back and rewatched it, Chris Tucker. Yeah. I mean, it was unbelievable that he was in this movie. Uh, but listen, the, the, the problem with Jackie Brown is that he, it had to follow Pulp Fiction. Which is a hard act to follow, but by itself, it's such a great film. And Schmoville agrees with us. Joshua Stein says, I love Jackie Brown because there's an element of exploitation to it that I love. It has the elements of Tarantino that I love, like his dialogue and his unique directing, but this felt different in a good way. It's not his best, but still great. Plus it has memorable characters like Jackie Brown, Max Cherry, and Ordell Robbie. And Brian Turf says, it's deliberate pacing is a slow burn, Building the story and making you care about the characters. This is Tarantino's least cartoonish film, mm -hmm. exemplified by Forster's Max Cherry, supremely confident at what he does, yet caught between his emotions and the task at hand. Brian, say hi to Mary for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, your right stuff, Mr. Mance, you uh, mentioned before that has something to do with the film we've already talked about. Yes. My right stuff, my favorite scene in a Quentin Tarantino movie is from Inglorious Bastards, mm -hmm. and it is the scene at the French pub when Michael Fassbender blows his cover because he holds up three fingers in the wrong way. But what I love about that scene is when the, the Nazi major comes and sits next to them and gets in, they get into this card game and is really uncomfortable. No one wants him there, but the, the card game keeps going. It keeps going. And then just just the 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 way that the scene plays out so tense because so you know tense. he's going to get caught out but you're not sure how 
I mean, and, and just the way that the dialogue of that scene oh. when Michael Fassbender is is, is outed because yeah. of the way he holds up he holds up his fingers <laughs> and he literally says, "Well, this is it, old boy. I hope you don't mind if I go out speaking, speaking the, the kings. kings." And the major's like, "By all means, Captain." And then it explodes into this Mexican this bloodshed. Standoff. Oh, it's just it's such a great great scene. The way such it just builds, just like one of our schmoes just pointed out just now. The way it, it built to an explosive bloody yes. payoff. I love that film. I love all of Quentin Tarantino's movies. It's so fun getting to talk about him. And we should point out that we actually almost got to chat to Quentin himself. Oh, but he was too busy. He's too busy on a little film called The Hateful Eight. The Hateful Eight. Which he's I guess prepping. we can forgive him We can forgive him we for. Can forgive <laughs> him for that. He's he's prepping Hateful Eight, but he did wish us the best on our profiles. Isn't that amazing? On Quentin Tarantino. He knows about us. He knows about us. We've both spoken to Quentin before in different means, but just for him to know that we are doing a profiles on him and for him to know that this show exists and to send his best... That is pretty damn cool. That is pretty damn cool. Okay, should we keep things moving with our... Let's keep moving. Number two in our Fast Five. Number two. And then... Oh, cuts off the ear and puts gasoline over him. (laughs) Reservoir Dogs, boy, this movie, what a breakthrough for Quentin Tarantino. Mm -hmm. Came out October 23rd, 1992, and... Again, amazing. We never actually see the heist. It completely plays with all the conventions of a usual crime film. As you said, it shows the before and the after of the heist, but not the heist itself. Should we pause talking about Reservoir Dogs? We're because gonna, we have a special guest on the We have a special line. guest on the phone right now joining us here on Profiles. We would love to welcome... Oscar nominee Robert Forster, who played Max Cherry in 1997's Jackie Brown. Robert, you are on with Alicia and Scott on Profiles. Hello. Hey, how are you, Alicia? Hiya, Scott. Hey, how are you? Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for joining us. We were just talking about how much we love Jackie Brown. You know, it's been 17 years. How proud are you still of that film? Well, that was a life changer for me. Uh, you know, actors uh, live in hopes that something will come along that uh, makes a big difference and throws them a career that they've uh, been hoping for. And my career had come and gone by then, uh, by 1997, I guess it was. And uh, I had a very slim strategy at that point, uh, and the strategy was that some kid liked me, who liked me growing up, (laughs) would turn into a real good filmmaker and give me a good part, and if you can imagine uh, that coming true, uh, now you know what the value of prayer is all about. (laughs) Well, well, we know that this was actually not the first attempt that you had at working with Quentin. Uh, that that started a bit earlier, and I was wondering if you could tell us the story behind that. Uh, you know, I heard about Quentin Tarantino from a, a filmmaker by the name of Bill Lustig, and I'd worked for him a bunch of times. Lustig, uh, he did exploitation movies, and uh, one of them was Vigilante. And he called me up one day and he said, I just bought a script from a kid you never heard of. Um, and this script is called True Romance. And uh, the guy I bought it from said, uh, well, think of Robert Forster for, uh, for a part in it. And uh, Lustig uh, sent me the script and it was, it was um, 
it was broken up in a way that I'd never seen a script before. It was out of sequence. And uh, I, I just got through reading it when Lustig called me back and said, they took the movie away from me, somebody who recognized it was great, and uh, they, um, they're going to make it linear, the way usual movies are structured. And uh, so don't worry about whatever it is this guy Tarantino had in mind for you, because it's not going to happen. That was <laughs> a movie called, uh, I think it was called True Romance. Isn't that the one the one the Scott brothers yeah. did? Yep, Tony Scott. Uh, and then uh, sometime after that, I got a, uh, a call to uh, audition for uh, uh, Reservoir Dogs. And I, I said to myself, all right, I'm going to. I'm going to kill this. And of course, I uh, was real ready. I went in there and I thought I uh, knocked it out of the park. Uh, but when I was finished with the audition, uh, uh, Quentin came out of the room behind me and said, hey, you know, that was nice. And uh, and he was his enthusiastic self. What a guy. Mm. And he said, look, this isn't going to work out. He said, uh, that part, the part that I read for, is going to go to uh, the guy that I uh, uh, that I dedicated the script to. Um, what was his name? Lawrence Tierney. Gangster in that movie. Yeah, Lawrence uh, Tierney. Pardon? Lawrence Tierney. No, the the old gangster in in Reservoir Dogs. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Right. So so oh, I played by uh, the guy he did this. Oh God! How come it's you know, <laughs> this is another product of old age? <laughs> um, okay, so uh, Tierney. Uh, Tierney. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. I didn't get that part. Some years later, I'm sitting in the restaurant, and my career is really, really at the bottom. I have no agent, no manager, no no lawyer, no nothing. And uh, in walks Tarantino into this uh, this coffee shop, and I hail him over. He comes over. We blah, blah for a while. I asked him what he was doing. He said, I'm writing a um, uh, an adaptation of Rum Punch. He said, why don't you read it? I think that that is the the exact moment at which he said to himself, God, maybe this guy is the right guy for the part. Six months or so later, I arrived uh, one morning at that uh, at that uh, coffee shop, and Quentin was sitting in my seat. And as I approached the table, he picked up a script, and he handed it to me, and he said, read this, see if you'll like it. Mm. Um, it is uh, one, of those, uh, one of those things that you... Don't expect to happen, but uh, there it was. Wow. And when you were actually working with Quentin, did your impression of him change, or what was he like to work with? Is he always that enthusiastic? <laughs> oh, yes, yes. This guy is, uh, well, he's what he appears to be. He's a real good guy mm. and very, very, very smart. And, uh, and uh, you know, he may have gained some confidence since the first time, but he seemed to have plenty of confidence when he was, when he uh, when I met him for the first time uh, with Reservoir Dogs, um, he did things uh, just to show what kind of confidence this guy has. He gave everybody at the top of the day a shot list. Now, a shot list is usually uh, um, confined to the uh, cinematographer and the director and one or two and the and the, uh, the, the assistants, you know. But he gave a shot list, handcrafted and uh, Xerox to everybody on the set, including the grips and the, and, the, and, the, and craft service. Everybody on that set knew what we were trying to get done today. And, uh, and this isn't something that you do if you're at all scared. He 
he played music on the set oh, for that wow. real important scene when Jackie Brown steps out of the prison and walks toward me. And in those moments, uh, wow, I get hit uh, with a uh, with that feeling. You know the feeling I'm talking about? Absolutely. And he played music for that, the kind of music and or the exact music that he would put into the movie. Mm. Um this guy was this guy was uh, full of very new stuff, unafraid, and uh, that was obvious. Well, well, take us back to that moment on that morning when you found out, Robert Forster, that you were nominated for an Academy Award for Jackie Brown. Take us through that morning. Were you up watching the nominations? How did you find out? You know, what a day! Thanks, oh God. About 1 o'clock in the morning before that announcement, I got a call. My friend Frank, he says, what are you doing? I said, I'm sleeping. He says, I mean, you're not going to wait for the announcement? I said, no. Listen, if it happens, somebody will call me up. He said, don't worry, it's going to happen. 5.30 or so is when they, when they announced. My eyes actually did open up around 5.25 or so. And as I looked at the clock, I didn't get up, but I kept my eyes open and closed. And I said, okay, 5.30, 5.30 came and went, 5.40 came and went. 5.41 or some number like that, the phone rang. Oh, boy. Oh, no, gee, don't tell me. And it wasn't uh, anybody uh, official. It uh, it It was my first wife who called and said, Bob, you got nominated. Wow. The phone immediately, the call waiting immediately uh, uh, started beeping. I said, June, I got to go. It was somebody else. I could not get off the phone for 30 or 40 minutes. I, I just one call after another. Everybody I'd ever known. Oh, wow. Wow. And around 45 minutes after, I finally got a call from the publicist who said, the cars outside, they're waiting for you. Why don't you pick up your phone? I said, I couldn't. Said, there were 20 people calling. She said, they're, uh, they're, the phone, is, uh, the, uh, the car is downstairs waiting. I said, for what? She said, you got to do interviews. Yes. And so quickly, I leaped into uh, the best wardrobe I could come up with. Uh, at the time, I was, uh, you know, quite broke. And, uh, and, uh, and I, uh, I ran downstairs. I jumped in the car. They took me around. I might have done, I think, 29 interviews. Wow. On that wow. Only the last one was over, and the car was driving me home. And I remember the warm sun coming in that at that car window, and I just, I didn't have a cell phone, uh, the, uh, the, uh, or if I did, it was, no, I didn't have a cell phone. Somebody <laughs> else had a cell phone. I guess it must have been the driver had a cell phone. Um, and uh, they were calling me all day, telling me where I was going and what was going to happen next, but finally it was all over, and as I was driving home, the warm, warm feeling of uh, inclusion. Wow. That when you finally say to yourself, holy mackerel, this is this really happening, and I am now included. Wow, and what a so great story. that was that day and that moment. I, one small thing, yep. Frank, the same guy, <laughs> the morning of the, um, the Academy Awards proper, called me up. It was at 1 o'clock in the morning. I guess that's, that's his best time. He was drunk. He called me up and he said, hey, now look. He said, tomorrow when they open up the envelope, somebody's going to say, and the winner is Rob B. 
Ben Williams. Jump out of your seat too quick. <laughs> wow, what a whirlwind of a time. It's amazing. It's so great to hear all your memories. I was just wondering before we let you go, do you have a favorite Quentin Tarantino movie? Oh, Alicia, I think you should answer that one for me. It's hard to pick, isn't it? Well, we were talking about how great Jackie Brown is. That's one of our favorites. Yep, it's mine too, mm. and uh, for all the good reasons. Yes, so good. Well, listen, Robert, thank you so much for, for calling in. I, and I just just before I let you go, one of my favorite movies of all time is The Black Hole. Yes. I, I just I, love that movie, my friend. I, I love that movie. It was a remake, as you know, of the Jules Verne undersea adventure, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, the space version. Yep. Mm. I was thrilled to be in it. Well, oh, listen, thank okay. you so much for joining us, and you have a great day, and thank you so much for sharing your memories and your insight into Jackie Brown. All the best to you, sir. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Alicia. Thanks so have much. Fun. Thanks. That's so good. That was cool. Oh, That's I so love cool. Robert, Forster. Robert Forster. And he was so great in Jackie Brown. So great in Jackie Brown. Yeah. Max Cherry, again, I mean, that was just such a well-developed character perfectly acted and mm -hmm. it was such a I mean for for him to get nominated for that role yes. I mean I was the only Oscar nomination that movie got and it was for him I know and interesting that he was almost in Reservoir Dogs which right. is what we were talking about beforehand so I want to continue with that let's keep going that has a lot to say about this movie so Reservoir Dogs obviously it was Quentin's first film he was planning to shoot it for only $30,000 with friends but then Harvey Keitel when he got involved that meant they could bump up the budget to something like one point $1.5 million, that's right. And originally, I think they weren't going to show the heist because it would have taken too much money, but then they decided that it was kind of cool, and I totally agree. Well, let's talk about the scene that is the standout scene of that movie, the scene that we bumped into this part with, mm -hmm. where Mr. Blonde is torturing the cop, He's cuts so cool. off his ear, douses him with gasoline, <laughs> And it is, and you had a poster of this guy yes. on your wall. Plus, I love the music in this movie. It's interesting to hear Robert talk about how Quentin would play the music while they were shooting. Because the thing I loved, I liked the uh, K-Belly super sounds of the 70s. <laughs> but the, the music, especially in that scene, contrasts so much with the brutal violence that is yeah, going on. It sure did. And I know Michael actually had a really tough time shooting he, that scene. He did have a tough time because apparently at that time, he had just become a dad. Mm -hmm. So when... And the guy playing the cop revealed, and this was not scripted, that he was a new father. Right. It took him out of the moment. It took him out of character, and he had a little bit of a hard time moving on with it. But of course, move on, he did. Mm -hmm. And uh, listen, oh, amazing film. Spoiler alert, everybody dies. Everyone dies. It has all the hallmarks of what we now know is Quentin Tarantino's movies. Including the fact that this movie did take place in the same universe as Pulp Fiction, because mm -hmm. not only was Vic Vega, uh, Mr. Madsen, Blonde, yeah. Michael Madsen, the brother of Vincent Vega, but on the radio, there's a mention of Jack Rabbit Slim. Yay, which so, we mentioned before. We wanna go there. I mean, such a brutal film, but such cool dialogue. Yes, My God, what and great our friends. characters too. And our friends at Schmoville, Spencer Drake said, although I've seen Pulp Fiction more, Reservoir Dogs is the one that sticks with me the most. He was able to tell such a riveting story and use his actors to their full capability while pretty much <laughs> using one location and that is incredible. Well, George McCann says the Don't. film is like a beautiful 
horrifying stage play in the best <laughs> possible way. Yes. The tipping scene is still my favorite Quentin Tarantino scene. And like the, you. Yes, I love that. And the stuck in the middle scene still scares me. Like me. Us too. <laughs> Although I stand by my theory that Reservoir Dolls and Pulp Fiction are one movie. Mm. The timeline adds up if you dive into all the Easter Just eggs. Just what we were talking Just about. Just what we were talking about. And you know, George mentions that it kind of feels like a stage play. A little bit of trivia for you. Michael Fassbender was such a fan of Reservoir Dogs that he actually produced and starred in a stage play version. Well, it all comes full circle. Full circle, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, well, uh, Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs are two films that are often copied, but never replicated. But, but some there have come are close. Some good directors who do a similar thing. So adaptation. Adaptation. Let's talk Guy Ritchie. Guy Ritchie came pretty close with not one but two films. One was Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Mm -hmm. And then when he remade his movie again into a movie called <laughs> Snatch. Both. And not so well with Rock and Roller. Rock and Roller, yeah, I didn't like that movie yeah. at all. But, uh, but Lock, Stock and Snatch, two solid films, Tarantino-esque, uh, but not Tarantino. Yeah, he had great style and cool dialogue. Uh, Robert Rodriguez is another one. Of course, oh, he's yeah. a longtime collaborator with Quentin Tarantino, as we saw with the Grindhouse films and also Sin City as well. They met at Toronto with their first movies in 1992 and they became fast friends. They definitely both have that brutal stylized oh, sure. violence about them. And you know, if you watch From Dusk Till Dawn, yes. the first half of that movie, which by the way, Quentin Tarantino acted in that yes, film. Yes, exactly. But the first half, I thought he did a good job. I thought he did good. And I liked that movie a lot. It came out in February of 1996. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know why I know that, but I do. <laughs> I man. just, jeez. But From Dusk Till Dawn is a solid movie. The first half of that film is as close to like a Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs kind of movie that yep. any filmmaker ever got. But then of course, the second half just turned into this big vampire Gore yeah, fest. I liked it. I thought it was I, it's cool. fun. It was fun. Doug Lyman is another one, especially Go. Go. Go is a movie that came out in uh that came out in April can of nineteen ninety nine. No, I mean you know all the release dates. But listen, Go is a good film. It is. It's it is. And it's got that intersecting storylines. Same as Pulp Fiction. Definitely. Yeah. Well, let me ask you a question. What is your take on some of the films that Tarantino wrote? Like, what is your take true romance. of True Romance? I love True Romance. I really do. It's so interesting when you hear, and I've heard that before, how they it did originally start out in this non-linear style and then it got put together in linear style. I'd love to see that other version also. But Quentin Tarantino is a brilliant writer. He yes. has delivered some of the most incredible dialogue and most memorable dialogue on screen, I think, out of anyone. And True Romance, one of my favorites that he wrote. Now, I, actually, I know that you've talked about this in other places, but do you think that Tarantino is better as a screenwriter or as a director? It's such a hard, hard thing, isn't it? Because yeah. he has such great style as a director, but I... For me, I would probably say his writing because his dialogue is is just so cool and nobody can do it the way no he one does. Can do it, no. But that being said, I mean, he's but it's, directing. But it's such a narrow margin above I know. the director. And I think that's the, when it's the combination of the two that really works. But True Romance shows that someone else could direct it and it is still just as cool. You're so cool. You're so cool. But he almost directed True Romance. Yeah, he I almost, know. That's an interesting story. Yes. Well, we are, we are at that time. Uh, Fast Five pulling in at number one. Woo! What is it? And you will know my name is the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon thee. Pow, 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 pow. Oh. Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction came out in October 14th, 1994, mm. which means, ladies and gentlemen in Schmoville, we are at the exact 20th anniversary 
of Pulp wow. Fiction when it first was released in the United States. The movie won the Palme d'Or, the top prize at the Cannes Film Festival, mm-hmm. was nominated for seven Oscars, including Best Picture and Best Director, and it lost to... Forrest Gump. What? How? What? How? Come on! I like Forrest Gump, but Pulp Fiction, this was a game changer. Game changer. I think it is one of the most influential movies in the past 20 years. No question. This really cemented Quentin Tarantino as the coolest director around. The nonlinear storyline, like we talked before, to me when I first saw Pulp Fiction, as I said, that seemed so fresh. All those storylines jumping back and forth in time, which took a second to realize what was happening. Yeah, when you were watching it and you watched the scene when Butch kills Vincent yeah. in his bathroom. And then the next scene. The next scene, there he is, alive and well. Yeah. You know, like you're just like, wait a minute. It's so much fun to try to piece together the chronological, the chronological. order. Yeah. And also try to figure out. What's in uh, the briefcase? What is in the briefcase indeed? I now, like the idea that it's Marcellus Wallace's soul. Yeah, me too. I what like what that. appeals to you about that? Well, I think it's something so different. I like that it's shiny and gold. And also, it makes sense when you see the back of Ving Rhames' head, which has a band aid, because apparently that's where your soul comes out. But they do say that that was just because he had a scar that he wanted to cover up. And also, Tim Roth, when he sees the briefcase, and what he, he just says, goes, It's beautiful. Yeah. And the combination, by the way, and the he combination. He sold his soul to the devil, and it makes sense because he is so evil. He sold his soul for the devil and they say that Don't when you sell your soul, they, you, they, they, you, your soul gets ripped out of your neck, mm-hmm. hence the bandage on the back of, of Marcellus mm-hmm. Wallace's neck. And then the combination, the combination for the briefcase mm-hmm. was 666. Yes. Don't you love it? Whether or not the, the director or the filmmakers disagree or shoot down these theories, yep. don't you love it when a movie like this opens that interpretation up that people will start piecing together their own theories start behind a movie. looking into it. They look into it. I mean, we've we talked about Harrison Ford last time, yeah. about Blade Runner. And The Shining with that. Kubrick. Oh. I love when people are trying to figure things out. This movie was the first independent film <clears throat> to make over $200 million at the box office. It, of course, revitalized John Travolta's career. No question. Completely turned that around. Uma Thurman and Samuel L. Jackson became bigger stars after this movie, and it also also launched the Weinsteins, like we were talking before with Miramax. This was one of the first films that they produced and not just imported, and that showed that they were really a force to be reckoned with. Fox Force, Fox Force Five. Five, and also, <laughs> hey, the soundtrack. Oh, the soundtrack so cool. for this I had movie the is great. Oh, it's one I of the best it soundtracks. On repeat. Oh, you did. Yeah. Oh, the soundtrack with the surf music, Miserlou by Dick Dale and the Deltones. Surf music goes all the way through, even during the ending credits, mm-hmm. and just his his love for these kind of soundtracks. All his movies have great soundtracks. The quotable dialogue. Uh, I think the F word is said something like 256 times. But this, this also this bizarro version of L.A. Yeah. Like, for example, when Butch is riding in the cab with uh, Esmeralda, whatever her name is, the yeah, cab yeah, driver. Yeah. But you see you, they're in the cab. The cab is yellow. That's in color. But the background behind them, the, the scene behind them, it's in black and white. It's very film noir. Very film noir. And it doesn't really mesh with with the with the the, the, the setting yeah, of the cab, but it works. But it works because it just sort of sets this whole bizarro version of L.A. And same with Vincent and Jules rocking around with the suit on. Yes, you think that they would be very uh, they would stand out a lot in L.A., especially today because it is hot. It is hot in L.A., ladies and gentlemen. 110 hot. degrees in the valley. Ooh, and in the studio as well. <laughs> well, Liam Logrand. Liam. Liam, we love Liam. We love Liam, and he loves Pulp Fiction. He said the script was so original and unique, with excellent dialogue and 
some of the most creative characters ever written. Samuel L. Jackson, John Travolta, Uma Thurman and Harvey Keitel, the wolf, give the, the performances wolf. of their career and are the biggest highlights of the film to me. It also had a significant influence on my life as I would never have discovered my passion for films if I never watched it. I almost feel the same. I mean... Hitchcock was my first f- director that really blew my mind. But yeah. Pulp Fiction with Quentin Tarantino again made me realize just how important a director is when it comes to a movie. Style. The director as the artist. The vision, yeah. Yes, absolutely. And my friend Brian Turf again weighs in on Pulp Fiction saying it was the first movie he, first uh, Tarantino movie he ever saw on opening weekend with some friends. Didn't know much about the movie other than it looked cool. The most memorable theater, memorable movie theater experience I ever had was mm. sitting in an old large theater in Chicago and watching the entire audience grab their armrests and lean forward in unison (laughs) while Travolta raises the needle of adrenaline over Uma Thurman's unconscious body. What a scene. The movie felt completely new despite all of its callbacks to earlier movies and music. A classic. Brian, again, say hi to Mary. I love it. (laughs) Love it. Before we go, that was our top five. Let's just recap for Let's everyone. Recap. Our yes. fast five. So number five, five Django, Django Unchained. Unchained. Number four, Kill Bill Volume Two. Number three, Inglorious Bastards. Number two, Reservoir Dogs. Number one, Pulp Fiction. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Hope you agree with our choices. Or let us know what you like, what you don't like. Follow us both on Twitter at Alicia Malone and at, at Movie Mance. And make sure you rate and review us on iTunes. This is very important. We have so many great suggestions from you. So many great filmmakers, yeah. actors, actresses, and a great idea that we should dissect during the over the course of an hour an entire movie we want to be able to do all these things we can only do it with your support the ratings and reviews on itunes share subscribe to youtube share our video podcast go to schmoes no watch schmoes no movie show every thursday and again thank you thank you thank you and please love 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 our facebook fan page profiles with malone and mance so next next time next time Tom Cruise! Great actor, we cannot wait to talk about. I have no idea what we're going to choose for our Fast Five. It's going to be tough. He's made so many great movies. He's a great actor. A lot to talk about with Tom Cruise. Biggest star on the planet by far. Mm -hmm. We'll see you next time on Profiles. Bye. Bye! From producers Christian Harloff, Mark Ellis, and the entire Schmoes No Network crew, we would like to thank you for listening to Profiles with Alicia Malone and Scott Matz. Special thanks to Kevin Undergaro and Maria Madunos, the author of Every Girl's Guide to Diet and Fitness in stores now. Be sure to subscribe to Profiles on iTunes and rate and review the show. To get other Schmoes No Network episodes, movie news, and join the conversation, be sure to visit schmoesno.com. I'm the Pitbull. And this has been a presentation of the Schmoes No Network.